In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org. And we don't only bring you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world, but we have listeners from over the, all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the show, let me tell you what the show's about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So listen to us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we're on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitcher to Spotify. Just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and you will find us. I also invite you to connect with me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or go to my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Now, if you're in a leadership position, or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or yourself. Now, on to today's episode. Now, I was going to, for my listeners, I didn't want to scare you, so I'm not going to sing this, but I'm going to read some lyrics and I want to know if you know, before I get to the last sentence, what song this is. And the lyrics are, people try to put us down just because we get around. Don't try to dig what we all say. I'm not trying to cause a big sensation. And what's the last sentence, listeners? I'm just talking about my generation. Now, also, how many of you know what year this song came out and who sung it? So it's one of my favorite groups, The Who. And the lyrics released in 1965. And it already shows that in 1965, people were talking about generations. Now, Peter Townsend, who wrote the lyrics for the song, is now 77, born on the cusp of a baby booner generation. And in 1965, Peter was trying to explain the differences between generations. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And generations has been a subject, has been discussed discussed since Carl Mannheim, a German psychologist, wrote an essay called The Problem of Generations, which was first published in English in 1952. And today we are in 2022. We're living longer and the discussion on generations continue as we live with six generations, sometimes in one house. And today we're going to speak with an expert on generation. Our guest today is Chris DeSantis. He's a speaker, consultant, and author specializing in workplace interventions and his brand new book is called why i find you irritating navigating generational 
friction at work. Now, Chris has over 35 years of experience working with clients in professional service firms, both domestically and internationally. And over the past 15 years, he has been invited to speak on generational issues in the workplace at hundreds of leading U.S. law firms, accounting firms, major insurance companies, and pharma companies. Now, Chris is a humanist and an optimist. Um, he does he does not believe in high potential versus low potential human beings, but rather that the right circumstances and the right support and resource and knowledge, everyone has the capable of great things. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kimberly. I really appreciate being here. So, Chris, you know, I love the name of your book because when <laughs> I saw when I when I, I just read the book, it's fantastic, listeners. Like you should read it. And I thought of Joe Thank just you. getting the whole family and putting them at the dining room table and say, <laughs> let's talk about this. Okay. So what moved you to, what moved you to write the book? Well, first of all, the book title, uh, the book, I gave them 37 titles to the publisher and they like this particular one because I think it resonates with everybody's reaction to the other, as it were. Uh, What brought me to write it was that uh, about, I'd say about 18 years ago, I was running a school for new consultants for a client. And what we started to notice was this this group of young people came in, uh, were coming in, and they were acting noticeably different than the cadres that preceded them. And different in a way that they were more assertive, they were a, a little particular in what they wanted. And it, 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 it sort of resonated with me because it wasn't anecdotal relative to one or two, but rather the group. And and mm-hmm. the subsequent groups were the same way. So that, that got me on to thinking, well, maybe there's something here that I don't understand. And then I started reading on this topic of gender generational uh, diversity. And there wasn't much written on it, but uh, over time, a lot has been written. So I put about 60 of those books under my belt. And I finally said, you know, I might have something to say that sort of, uh, I will say, uh, fills the white space, that which hasn't been Mm -hmm. said yet. And that's what this book is. It's really a compilation of both the homework and then my thoughts about, well, what do you do about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's why I mean the title does resonate. I mean, yeah, um, honestly, I really just wanted to get everybody in the dining room. Okay, but, um, <laughs> so, anyways, so let, let's just talk a little bit about the book. In the beginning of the book, you talk about generational narratives. Okay, yes. what are generational narratives, and what does that mean? Well, a generational narrative is the storyline of a group. Now, is it not? It is not representative of the individuals in the group, but rather it is normative to what the group experiences. So, a generational narrative, as you pointed out with uh, Peter Townsend when he was a youth, and you know, in in the early '60s, there he experienced things that his cohort group experienced as a collective, and then they saw things in terms of what happened in the culture. They also had the socioeconomic factors that affected them collectively. So, when I speak generational narratives, I'm not talking about every individual. I'm actually talking about groups in the middle class and even more precisely groups in the middle class in the United States, which we will talk about because you are a global program and there is some correlation between uh, sort of us and the world, but it is not, it is not duplicative. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like the way you describe it of a storyline of a group, okay? Yes. Because I've never heard it. I've never heard it described like that, okay? Because you always think, you know, it's characteristics or people right. use other words, but it's a storyline, really. Yes. But But you do, you do just to come to the America thing. So you're you're talking about kind of middle class, middle America. This is where the storyline. Um, 
why isn't the storyline quite similar in other countries? You know, um, uh, you know, when I when I see, you know, my kids working with, with, you know, uh, kids in the U.S., you know, they kind of act the same to me. Okay? Yes, you know? yes. Um, you know, so what what's the difference between, you know, the countries? Well, if you think of it this way, there, there are the cultural aspects of the countries that are unique unto themselves. And there was a wonderful book on this by um, Gert Hofsted, who talks about these cultural dimensions that are different. So that's one aspect. Then there are also the socioeconomics, because we are not all in the same place socioeconomically at the right. same time. So if you're born of a time when there was great abundance versus great scarcity, that affects you. Then there's the flashbulb memories, the things that we remember when we were small children that affected us, that are unique to us. So points of all of this are that, yes, there are, there are, there are narratives for each culture, but each culture is unique unto itself. So a boomer in the United States, let's give you a perfect example. A boomer child in the United States after the war, of uh, World War II, lived a different experience than boomer children in Europe af immediately after the war, because in Europe they were living for 10 years in a rationing mode and rebuilding mm -hmm. society. In the United States, we were we were just unleashing that which we, you know, the, what we wanted to do all along in terms of moving from an uh, sort of an industrial complex that was building war machines to ones that were making consumer goods. So the transition wasn't as dramatic, but it, uh, but there was a greater abundance. Those those differences filter into how we see the world. But getting to your point, Kimberly, when we get down to the young, the millennials and the middle classes around the world, and I will say in Southeast Asia, the upper middle classes and South um, Africa and South America, the upper middle classes and above, these kids who are educated, who are being uh, sort of, um, I will call the, the term is uh, um, What's the term? Concerted <laughs> cultivation. Concerted cultivation. cultivation. It's a lovely term in, in, the, in, the, in the point that the parents are highly engaged in their children's upbringing. Also, these same children are exposed to a global, a global world. So the economist is even saying that this is the inception of the first transnational citizen. So to your point is, are there similarities? They get more similar as we get to the younger ages in the educated classes because of their exposure. But the manifestation of their similarities are different based on what culture they're a part of. And I can elaborate mm -hmm. on that at some point. Yeah, I mean that, that's a, that's that's really interesting. And I think about it. I think about it in the terms that we're in a global economy now. Okay. Yes. Now, what, you know, we're still we're still seeing the workforce um, generation X. We're still seeing yes. millennials. Okay. So they may not have that kind of. I want to say the the red thread storyline as much as Generation Z or Zoomers are going to have. Okay, right. So, so how how does that affect us in in the workplace? You know, I'm talking about kind of global economy right now. Before we get down to talking about each generation. Well, I, I think what you're seeing is a loosening of the connections between globally between the organization and the individual's commitment to the organization. For instance, I come from in my book. I call this the covenant. The covenant was. If you work hard, you are guaranteed a job for life. That was the norm in the boomer era, but it no longer is the norm in the United States. We have moved to a transactional model, whereas I will work for you for a while as long as I get what I want from you and you give me something in return. So it's it's a briefer, uh, it's more of a, it's a, it's it's not a, an inferred commitment. 
Europeans, uh, to some degree, still have some of this inferred commitment based, based for one reason, on your labor laws. So, but mm-hmm. you're also creating a great, uh, great number of contractual employees who can't even get into the this kind of commitment. So, I think we're drifting to this sort of um, uh, globalization of of movement, as it were, in certain rungs of society. And so, I, I just think America has is more individualistic. So they've arrived at it first. Mm-hmm. Actually, you said something that I, I never thought about sitting here in Germany is, you know, the labor laws really do have this inferred commitment um, yes. still built into them. Yes. So just, you, you know, I want to kind of go into this a little bit deeper, um, but just a, a quick question on how – so we we have these storylines and we have these mm-hmm. cultural differences, and mm-hmm. how does that affect biases? I mean, we still have stereotypes and biases, right? Yes, I mean, yes. And, 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 <laughs> maybe I should wait after that after the break after the break because that's probably a loaded question. So. No, no, it's it's uh, it's a big one to unpack though because we do have we I, I I use the work of Noam Chomsky and he talks about uh, his process for generalization is one that first you have deletion. Look, the more you're like me, Kimberly, the less I notice about you. Uh, and but when you do something that I that is uh, that I saw uh, the exception when you you engage in something that is exceptional and I can attach it to some aspect of your difference I th- I start to I remember that but my problem of memory is it's a distortion and so what I remember this through that and then what I do is I see it a couple times through other people who do that I then go from uh, from the st- distortion to the generalization this is, must be true of all of you so and that's what we do and you you mentioned this earlier about gender differences if I see a difference in you as a a woman relative to what I would do, I think, well, that must be what all women do. And that is not Mm -hmm. true. That is what some women do that may be normative to them, but it is not accurate to everyone. But it feeds bias because the mind is lazy. We get lazy. We think, ah, I think I know you. I get you. I I get it. And I'm right about people and, and all of these things. So we say that and we assume. And and I think we live off of assumption versus fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good point. And um, y- you know, Chris, we're going to take we're going to take a short break because I want to I want to go into that a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we have a, a commercial break coming up. So um, we're, for our listeners, we're talking today with Chris DeSantis, and he's a speaker, consultant, and author specializing in workplace interventions and uh, specializing in generational. Uh, similarities and differences, is what I like to say. Uh, and uh, he has a brand new book out, Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Fiction at Work. And Chris has over 35 years of experience working with clients and professional service firms, both domestically and internationally. Over the past 15 years, he has been invited to speak on generational issues in the workplace at hundreds of the leading U.S. law and accounting firms, as well as major insurance and pharma companies. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Chris, you can reach out to him on his website, cpdesantis.com, and he's also on LinkedIn under cpdesantis. And this uh, broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, does market research, legislative white papers focused on digital, and they have online learning platform, which they offer to SMBs, SMEs, and startups. And they also have conferences, and the next conference is going to be May 21st to 23rd in Berlin, Germany. So please go to www.cinda.org and take a look. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about generations. And we're talking with Chris DeSantis. And he's a speaker, consultant, and author specializing in workplace interventions. And he's got a brand new book on the mark, a great read, uh, Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Fiction at Work. And Chris has over 35 years' experience working with clients and professional service firms, both domestically and internationally. Um, He's also focused on generational issues, working with hundreds of leading U.S. law, accounting, insurance, and pharma firms. So, Chris, um, you know, great Great first segment, just right before the break, we're talking about, you know, um, you know, what generate, you know, the storyline that these generations have, okay, and how they change between cultures, okay? So, I asked you about, um, you know, biases and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just kind of generalization. And, and I really liked your answer, but, you know, I, we're still doing it, Chris, okay? Yes, I mean, yes. I, I, I mean for, uh, you, you know, why do we just keep doing that? I mean, it, it, um, I, know, I know, I'll tell you one thing that I did, okay? So with the 12-year-old, like mm-hmm. I'm calling other mothers and saying, is your 12-year-old do this too? You know <laughs> <what I> mean? <laughs> so why do we generalize, generalize this? Well, I, I think we're, we are by our nature comparative. And I think, and so in that sense, we, we tend to compare ourselves to others. And then also when we see them as different than us, meaning that, and they are, to their, they are their own person, uh, we, yeah. we are in some way uh, bothered, as uh, irritated, as, as you said. Mm-hmm. I, another point of this too is, any, every, you, we are the subject of this as well. When we were young, we rebelled against our parents because in, in part, we want to find our own identity. You see, we want to create our own space in the world that is unique to who we are. And when you craft your own identity, it is often in conflict to the identities that you already know, which is that of your parents. So in fact, right. it's, it's a very natural thing to rebel to some degree. But then what we do is we move from some of these, I will call innocuous differences, and then we place them into this category of of stereotype. Oh, they must be this way. Well, this is one of the problems with the press. The press uh, takes the millennial and they they amplify the aspects of a few of them, and then they assume that all all millennials must be this way. So in that sense, that's what happens again and again. And so I think it exacerbates that which some of the differences to the level of um, to, to, to the level of silly relative to who they yeah. really aren't. 
Yeah, yeah. So just uh, it's for you're talking about millennials. Just for our mm-hmm. listeners to, um, you know, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about we really some households have six generations. Can you just yes. um, reflect re- reflect the generations that sure. we have sure. today for my, our listeners? Yeah. Yes, and again, I'm using these um, numbers from uh, the, basically these are U.S. based, but there's the traditionalists mm-hmm. born in the uh, 20s or let's say. Uh, 20, 23 to about 44, something like that. Then there's baby boomers who were born around uh, 1945 or 1944 through to 64. Then there's Gen X who was born around 1965 to around 1981 or so. And then of course, then there's Gen Z. Zoomers are, they're sometimes called Zoomers, but Zoomers fell out of fashion because of Zoom. So they, mm-hmm. the, the distinction is Gen Z and they're born around 97 to around 2012. And now there's a new generation that has yet to be named. So the placeholder is called Gen Alpha. And these are children born after 2012, so 2013. And so they, there's no assignation really of, of who they are yet it's mo- because they're, they're just still in that forming stage. So that's mm-hmm. why the, those are the six, to, sort of the six generations. In the workplace, it's mostly boomers, Gen X, millennials, and now the arrival of Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure if the alphas don't know who they are. Look at talk with an eight-year-old, okay? <laughs> oh, no, they are. They are. You are. It's a very interesting. And by the way, Kimberly, what you just said is critical. Talking with an eight-year-old, not you're not talking at an eight-year-old. What we right. have done is we've moved the dialogue. We've moved into a dialogue model. When I was an eight-year-old, no one talked with me. They talked at yes. me and told me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's really important. You're right. So let, let's just take a look at that because we have these kind of like five generations in the workplace mm-hmm. with Gen Z coming in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's just kind of talk about what happens. I mean, you you have a baby boomer and a Gen Z, okay? You know, mm-hmm. are there still stereotypes around baby boomers? I mean, you know, what's the storyline around? Baby oh boomers? yes, of course, there's stereotypes around baby boomers. Uh, one of the one of the uh, classic stereotypes around us is that we are not comfortable or we are resistant to technology. That is not mm-hmm. a fair statement. In fact, we've invented most of the technology that is now used today in terms of the internet and 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 your 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 uh, your computers, all yeah. of these things. So the the point is, we are we are not we, we don't utilize the the level of technology as the young do because they, of course, are more immersed in it. In fact, I think millennials were probably uh, digitally uh, fluent, but I think Gen Z will probably be digital natives in the sense that they are mm-hmm. integrating it more greatly. But anyway, that's a classic stereotype because we see whenever I have a problem. By the way, I I, I use the reverse stereotype, uh, and and it is a stereotype. I, if I have a problem with my computer, who do I seek out? The youngest person in the room, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's where you go. And then they make some silly face and say, oh, what, what, you don't know how to do this? And then they do something and then it works. And I'm going, wow, I don't know that. <laughs> what we've done is we've each reinforced our stereotypes by virtue of the fact that we say it's the salience effect. I think mm-hmm. I saw this happen. It happened. This is true when it happened. And But the yep. reality is that was an anecdotal occurrence. It is not representative of everyone. But we believe mm-hmm. anecdotes. Right. Yeah. Now that that's funny. All the seagull, the youngest one in the room. You're right. That's, that's um, what I do. And, and- yeah, and so you know, I mean, you're right to not have the stereotype around baby boomers because they did invent the technology, and then, yes. but then we have Gen Z X. I'm sorry, okay. Oh. And and in your book, you talk about the shift from um, t- 
tell do to suggest do, okay? Yes. And w- why that's different, okay? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I, 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 I lean heavily on parental models. And boomers are a product of what's called permissive authoritarianism. Gen, Gen mm-hmm. X is a product of natural growth. And then, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, millennials are a product of concerted cultivation. And then a nuanced version of that of Gen Z is co-piloting. Going back to the Gen X, as you indicated, natural growth means these were our, originally in the United States and in parts of the world, the latchkey kid. The kid that was on his own. Mm -hmm. These are the last kids in America, in effect, to have a private life. And so they just figured things out because parents didn't have the time to spend with them because there was an economic upset, sort of economic um, uh, uh, disruption. The parents had to either start working or or there was divorces that went up. So these kids were really had to, I suggest you do your homework. I suggest you make, they figured it out. In fact, what's so interesting about this, Kimberly, it's the only generation that was really prepared for the pandemic. They were designed Mm -hmm. for it. Because they said, oh, we can't go in the office, so what? We'll just work from home. It didn't bother them. They just would figure mm-hmm. it out. It's interesting about them. I'll tell you, you know, you know if you know if you're a Gen, Gen Xer, is if you think those around you are needy. <laughs> if, you, if, you use, if you use that phrase and you say they're so needy, it's because you are not in your mind, which is mm-hmm. a very interesting thing to say. You are needy in your own way as a Gen Xer, but your demonstration of need is that I need to be independent of other people. I need my own space, but that does not in fact affect others. So it doesn't appear that you are have a need in the same way, mm-hmm. but you do have needs. So that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Now that's really that, that's interesting because I never thought about. It, but you're right. I mean, this generation was latch kids. You know, mom went to, yeah. you know, mom went to started working and and dad was working anyways. And you know, you were taking care of the little brother or little sister. You know? Right, <laughs> so, right, right, right. Now, yeah, yeah. May, may I make an ancillary point because I'm talking in, in Germany right now, and you are in right. Germany. In yeah. Germany, uh, it was more. Con- it was. Uh, in fact, it's it's still problematic there, but women were were more likely to be in the household as mothers, yes. and it was frowned upon for them to take a job outside of the house. Yes. So German children were had a d- very different experience relative to that, although they mirrored the socioeconomics of the time in terms of the Gen Xers uh, because of the, the sort of an economic downturn that that spread into Germany as well. Mm-hmm. So you see what I'm saying? There's there's other yeah. there's other um, aspects to our differences. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's also really interesting because my mother is Swedish and, um, the you know, go to Sweden, Denmark, Finland, and it's quite different because mm-hmm. they were always they were always working. It doesn't matter ah, what, you know. But anyways, I, I want to move on to the, the my favorite generation that is have got so much junk and crap in the newspaper when they started getting yeah. in the workforce, the millennials. Yes. Okay. You know, I mean, I, you know, excuse my language, but we gave them so much shit. I mean, what what happened there? I mean, we were so shocked. Was it so different? Well, again, I go back to two. One thing is the parental model was uh, th- there was a great there's a lot more involvement in their upbringing, meaning the parents sort of said, I- I'm going to engage you differently than I was engaged. So they are more they participated more in the family dynamic, the dialogue model. The second piece where they get the most grief is this stupid uh, self-esteem movement that started mm. in the 60s in communes in California that gravitated to the school systems in the 70s in California and then moved across the country. Well, it was an empty promise. All God's children are good, but you need evidence of greatness. But we weren't asking for evidence of that. And so these young kids were, you know, again, 
through the joke of who they are, like, oh my, they think they can do everything. Oh, they think they're all great. And, and we gave them trophies. This was foisted upon children. No kids <laughs> are right. saying, I need another trophy. They, they were, right. It was a, given to them because, oh, give them a participation trophy. Give them this. And yet the kid gets blamed for the circumstance of what the adults do. So, mm-hmm. And then they get stuck with this. Oh, you need a trophy to do anything. And I don't think that was not representative of who they are. And to your point, it, it, we gave them a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I remember that whole soccer teams or football teams, as we call them here, are getting trophies. You know, every kid coming home with the ribbons and trophies. But um, um, we're going to take a short break soon. But before we move on, I just want to hit the last one that's in the workplace right now. Because then when we get back from the break, I want to talk about how we make this work and how you talk about balance and rhythms and how we make this all work. But the last one in the workplace is Generation Z. Okay. Um, And... um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be different again. Yeah, what do you have to say about those guys? Well, okay. They're just entering the work. Well, uh, yeah. and I, and by the way, I, the, the challenge with this one is we we don't become who we are uh, absent of our interaction with others. That means when the, right. the rubber has to hit the road, as it were, relative to their interaction in the workplace, that's when we'll discover who they really are. Because most of the information about them is written where they are in their own groups, in schools, in high school, in college, and so forth. It's the interaction. But they will be different. They are far more practical. They are far more uh, skeptical of, of safety nets, of where the world is going. They see existential threats relative to how we will live as a humanity so and and so with that um they be, they will become um, a, a different again they will be very demanding in what they want uh and so in that sense they are very much attuned to uh, equity and fairness and diversity and not just as a check the box thing but as a way of being so you will see them acting a little differently i'll tell you another interesting thing about them is that they will have a they are they will have a side hustle that will they will monetize. They will move from hobby to monetization of a side mm-hmm. hustle, and they will work for you, and they will work for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, when you're saying that and, and developing it now, you know, I'm thinking about there's quite a few groups here in Germany, um, the Children for Future, um, you know, uh, this age group, you know, already already very, very much environmentally involved yes. in the environment here in Germany, um, but also extremely entrepreneurial, okay? Yes. As you said, you know, um, take this and then make it into my job, make me into money. And so, you know, yes. it's kind of early to, like, as you said, it's pretty early to see, but you can see that their concerns and their interests are different. Yes. And, um yeah, so I don't know. Is, is that still is that in the U.S. also, or is that just here in in Europe more? No, no, focused no. It's, on- we are we are, we are by far the most individuals of societies in the United States, is and in the forefront of that, we have been sending these entrepreneurial messages to each successive generation. Like you can mm-hmm. do this. Remember now, who are the heroes today? They're all these business leaders who started their own businesses. So in that sense, right. we've 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 made them heroic. And so now we, mm-hmm. we have these emulation of these models. These uh, We don't see heroes that are collectively oriented. We see heroes that are in the Elon Musks of the world, you know, the right. lone genius sort of sense, which is silly because the reality is we need each other more than we ever have because the work we do is far more complex and it requires teams. So it's an mm-hmm. interesting dichotomous situation. You know, it's almost a paradox. Like I want to yeah. be great, but I can't be great without the help of others. Uh, right. I think they'll come exactly. to realize that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, Chris, we're going to take a, a break. So, we, you know, we just kind of to sum up, we just talked about these different generations. And when we get back, I want to talk about how do we make this work? OK, yes, and, and 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 I also want to talk a little bit about what you talk in your book about, um, you know, the 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 balance rhythm, um, yes. you know, and uh, not just how do we make it work in between the individuals, but how do we make it work with our lives today? Because yes. everything's so blended today. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so for our listeners, we are talking with Chris DeSantis, and he's a speaker, consultant, and author specializing in workplace interventions. And his brand new book is Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Friction at Work. It's a great read. Um, it's available on Amazon. I suggest that you get it. And Chris has over 35 years of experience working with clients and professional service firms, both domestically and internationally. And over the past 15 years, he's been invited to speak on generational issues at the workplace at hundreds of U.S. law, accounting, insurance, and pharma firms. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Chris, you can reach out to Chris on his website at cpdesantis.com. And he's also on LinkedIn under CP DeSantis. So please reach out to him. And his book, again, is available on Amazon. And this is also brought to you by Cinda, this podcast. And Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, does market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. They also hold conferences. Their next conference is May 21st to 23rd in Berlin, Germany. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about generations. And um, it, it's really uh, amazing the subject that that has been, you know, a subject for, for hundreds of years. And of course, <laughs> this year now we're, we're with six, you know, six generations in some households. And our expert here is Chris DeSantos. And he just wrote a great book, Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Friction at Work. And he has over 35 years of experience working with clients and professional services, both domestic and internationally. So, so Chris, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about these generations. So, you know, at home we have six. In the workplace we have five. Maybe, you know, maybe four, maybe five. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How, how do we make this work? Wow, it's such a it, it's a very big question. Um, <laughs> Sorry, first, you don't have the magic formula, Chris. No. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. 
First, I think the first thing you make, you make the point of we should embrace it uh, for what it is. It's, it has advantage. Uh, and if we embrace generational diversity, we broaden our perspectives. So we should bring people to the table. The other ways to make it work is you have to explain who you are to others. This is, most of the rules of work are implicit. And you learn the rules of work after you break the rule. And so in that sense, what we do is we play the implicit game at work. And what we should be doing is the explicit. We should say what the rules are. I'll give you an example is that if I'm your manager, this is how I operate. I will tell you what I need when I need it. Now, my job is to make you great at what you do. That's my gift to you. Now, here's how I go about doing it. Now, in reverse, what do you need for me to do well here? Now, they'll tell you. And so my point would be now you have surfaced as the manager how you operate. Then the other party has surfaced is what they need to do well in this. And now the next part of this is a negotiation between us and how we will operate. I think it's just really uh, verbalizing what we didn't talk about before, because it used to be the boss was just in charge. And uh, I think today you want more engagement, which will bring me to the, the, your point about balance when we're ready to talk about that. Yeah, so it's really about just starting conversations. Yes, you know? it's, it's, and, it's and, very simple. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and, and I, I do think, you know, we are seeing more engagement and we see less hierarchy today. I mean, in some in some industries, it's still quite there. Um, some it's not. So, you know, um, as we start this engagement, um, we still have to kind of watch out for for those not just generational differences but cultural difference and then you yes. mix the two of them and, and and that makes it a little more complicated doesn't it chris yes it does in fact we should we should um um unpack them because i think one of the first you you, you work at uh, cinda is a global organization the beauty of that organization is they could teach people what are what is what are normative cultural uh behaviors in the realm of business in this country or that country because once you start to surface those things you get past the mystery of oh i didn't know that oh i mm -hmm. didn't know that and so what we want to do is we want to dispel sort of uh, the mythology of what we might assume of the other for instance i always use that example of uh, um, the problem that you face is uh, being a European. You're not. You're not a European. You're, you're a German in Europe, which is different mm -hmm. than an Italian in Europe. But from the mm -hmm. outside, we just think as Americans, oh, you're all you're all Europeans. The same thing you would say of Americans. Oh, you're you're an American. Well, if you're from New York versus, let's say, Louisiana, you might have a very different view of it. So. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, we don't we, we should we should get down to understanding some of these differences and then say, OK, then the next step is how do we bridge them and leverage them to mutual advantage? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that that's very, very true and um, great examples. And and so we're 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 trying we're working in this this global world with, mm -hmm. um, you know, mixing generations, merging uh, cultural differences, nationalities. And then we have our work life situation, oh, yeah, which all right. changed, which all changed. And you talk mm -hmm. about balance rhythm. What uh, can you talk about that? What is yes. balance rhythm? But what I was talking about is a work-life balance, and, and so w there is no such thing. This is why it's, it's – in fact, the term came up in 1986. Boomers, whenever we hear that somebody says, I like a little more work-life balance, we assume you don't want to work. You see, because we never even had this discussion. If, so if somebody in my generation had said, you know, I'd like a little more balance, our boss would have said, well, you're fired. There's your balance. you got all day now. <laughs> and so, but our world was different. Now, th the world right now is we've moved to much more of a – we are more cognizant of our family and our family's wants and needs. We are not less – 
committed to work, but we want better balance in terms of having access to those we love. This pandemic has allowed us to say, hey, wait a second, the world doesn't come to an end if I spend time at home working and do some of the other things that are part of my life. So I think part of this is it's it's the changing of priorities, meaning that it used to be work for all things, meaning sacrifice all things. Now it's work and the things I value. We're just still playing with what does that look like because we haven't we don't have a model yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this this started to be a discussion um, uh, before you know before the pandemic, but then it yes. really when the pandemic came, it really hit. And exactly, um, pe- people really start to rethink of it. And I, I kind of think of it as work life blending. That's the word yes. I like to use. I like know? that. And, so I mean, so how um, you know where do you where do you think we are in this shift? We're still trying to figure this out. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how it is in the U.S., but there's a lot of hybrid models here in um, in uh, from from working at home and working in the office. I mean, do you uh, where do you see us going with this? Well, I, I think we have to move beyond the selfish notion of what's best for me to the collective mm-hmm. notion of what's best for uh, what is my legacy relative mm-hmm. to this and what is my responsibility to the others I work with. You see, if you have mastery of the job that you do, and Kimberly, you're a perfect example, you have mastery, you can do this anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. You really mm-hmm. don't need to learn from others at this point in your life. You can just ex- you can just deliver. Now, the problem with that is, as a young person, our learning is really, a lot of it's through the, uh, the interaction with others in the environment right. we share because it's the observation of that by which we learn and and the transactional part of that learning, meaning the transactive learning means some people know some things, I learn from these people, all those. So is that interaction is critical. So I think if we move to say, what do, what is best to be a, a great performer over the, over the arc of your career or the arc of your time, design for that. And so as opposed to what is best for me, because that's what we're doing mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And, and you brought up a really good point, which I, I want to address. So with this virtual world and with the younger, younger, you know, the people coming into the world and, and maybe working virtually, um, how, how can we help them achieve their, their growth in work and achieve things, you know, because a lot of it is to do, you know, having mentors, do mentors work virtually to, yes. to see how other people work. Um, have you ever given a, given a thought to that? Yes, I have. I, I, I agree with you, uh, Kimberly, that we have to think in a blended capacity. Unless the work is, unless this is a, a mistake companies make is they look for an ex, a model out there and they say, oh, there, there's a, a remote only company. We can, we can do that. Well, well, no, you can't because that was designed from inception as remote only. And therefore, the people that entered into the contract of that knew what they were getting into relative to that experience. Most businesses aren't designed that way. So Mm -hmm. we have the correspondence problem. So my point would be the blend is the solution, that we have some flexibility, but we have a structure by which we know where people will be at some point so that we can get together. Because there's individual work, then there's handoff work, and then there's teamwork. These are different levels of work that require different circumstances. But you have to design something that has a regularity to it. So, for instance, if I just pick any days I want to come in and you pick any days, we'll never have this overlap that might be necessary for my development or for my learning about what you're doing. So I think our design has to be deliberate. I also think larger companies should experiment 
They should say, okay, in this office in Germany, let's try this. In, in mm -hmm. Sweden, let's try that. And then you collect the data. But, well, mm -hmm. And then you learn from that. The problem today is we still use the old buns on seat method, like, oh, you're, yes. you're, which isn't, the, the, there never was a method there. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the one I see a lot of come is the cascaded down. If what, you know, like you said, what works in Germany may not work in Sweden, may exactly. not work in New York. Okay. Yeah. So um, in your book, we're getting towards the end, but in your book, you talk about, and it, I think it has to do with this. You talk about the future is, I think you said lopsided. I'm looking yes. at my notes. Yes. yes. That's right. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I, 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 I kind of laughed when I read that and I thought, this is really describes it, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, you it, talk it, about that. It goes backwards to what I said earlier. The work is becoming far more complex. And that means, so for, even when you think about biology, mingling with chemistry, mingling with uh, artificial intelligence and science. So all of, these, all of these disciplines are folding into each other. And as a consequence of that, you have to have expertise in some area. So you have to say, I need my teammates. I need them because I am lopsided. I might be the best person in this room to do, let's say, business development, but I am not your computer expert. And I think what we should start to doing is quit measuring people across 12 parameters, which may not be germane to their future success or to the success of the organization, and rather concentrate on saying, what does this team need and who is on this team that represents the best of each of the things we need? And so I think we have to embrace our lopsidedness as individuals. And in the areas where we're not great, we just have to be good enough to, to not embarrass people that we work with. But when we strive to be an A player across all things, it's not realistic. And it's also not maximizing production because what you have is a group of A players who are competing with each, with each other on a team. When you have complementary players, they are helping each other on a team. And that's what I want. So lopsidedness is the recognition of my uniqueness and my unique contributions and, and the reward that is distributed in accordance to the team's performance. That's what it's and about. isn't isn't that isn't that Chris just embracing diversity? Yes, you know? it is. Um, it's exactly okay, it you is. know just embracing diversity regardless of it's if it's what you're good at or where the culture you come from or whatever. So um, we're get we're almost at the end of the. It's, we could go. I could go on for ever with you, Chris. Okay, um, but we got we got a lot of listeners out there. Um, two tips. Okay, just real quick. Two tips. One. Um, for our listeners out there um, kind of struggling with this, you know, uh, work, uh, you know, this work, the balance rhythm and generations um, and one, you know, just for the normal person sitting at home and one for who might be managing a group. OK, what would be your tip to the to just me, you know, sitting at home, managing the kids, managing the, the grandparents, managing the work. Um, uh, how do you get through this? <laughs> well, it, I, I think the, the, the beauty of being at home is, again, uh, home is uh, you're allowed to be who you are. This is the, the, your, your most authentic. So I, should, I would suggest that you sit all the generations at the table and you tell your own story. You tell your story. You say, this is my story. When I was 12, this is what I experienced. This is what I thought. This is what I believed. And, and not in a lecture mo mode, because that's what we do. When I was your age, is that, that's the scary story, right? But when you would say, when, when I was 12, this is what I experienced. So my point would be, everyone should tell their own story and then say, then ask, what do these stories have in common and how are they different? All of a sudden, mm -hmm. you have a very interesting family conversation that you probably never had before. 
That, that's a really interesting, and with the holidays coming up, it's a great time to try to do that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, should, really. You should all pick the same age. So whoever is yeah. the youngest at the table, that is the story. The, that's the story. Okay. And uh, we only have time for one tip for managers or people yes. managing um, across generations. Well, I, I always tell people, do not leave, do not read my book and assume that I am right about Gen X, millennials, and so forth. What, I, what you should be saying is the only truth is what I say is what's true about you personally. And lead with it. Lead with your truth. That means tell them who you are and then wait for them to say, now tell me about who you are. Because what this does is it infers implicit reciprocity. I'm going to tell you my story about how I engage and how I work. Now you tell me your story. And so what we do is we, we, we get past perception into the reality of the person who's actually sitting in front of me as opposed to the assumptions I might have about them. Yeah. Really great tips. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, thank you for taking the time to be on oh Leadership Beyond Borders. Uh, it's really great. And our listeners have been talking to Chris DeSantis. He's a speaker, consultant, and author specializing in workplace interventions. And his book, the one we've been talking about today, great read, Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Fiction at Work. Definitely get it and and it's just um it's an incredible read and chris has over 35 years of experience working with clients and professional service firms over the past 15 years he's been invited to speak on generational issues in u.s uh, law firms accounting firms insurance companies and farmers now he's a humanist and an optimist have you've heard today and please reach out to him. You can reach out to him on his website on cpdesantis.com uh, and on LinkedIn under cpdesantis. So please reach out to Chris. And this broadcast has been brought to you by Cinda and Cinda of one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers on digital. They have a learning series every Thursday at 1700 CET. And they also have a e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital for startups, product managers, and SMBs, uh, a learning platform that helps companies succeed. And their next conference, their live conference, is May 21st to 23rd in Berlin, Germany. So please go to www.cinda.org for more information. And please don't forget to tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us, we're on every major podcast platform so you can find us all over the web. So with that, thank you for listening. And again, Chris, thank you so much. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Kimberly. I really appreciate this time with you. Okay. And uh, everybody, tune in again next week. Until then, bye. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.